0: let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Back in two thousand one. Uh, Carrie and I bought our first home together. Uh, We've been married for a couple of years, been slumming it in in the hood of Burnsville. And and, uh, so we bought our house in Lonsdale, Minnesota. It's about 45 minutes south of the Twin Cities, about 30 minutes south of what was at that time the southernmost suburb. You'll know that now, like most big cities, it's basically built up between there and, and, and the cities now. There's not much farmland left, at least not along the highway. But we used to both work in the Twin Cities, so it was always, at a minimum, a 45-minute drive to work for both of us. And needless to say, after 16 years, there were many times, and I don't think I'm alone in this, where you leave the parking garage or you leave the parking lot and suddenly you're in your garage, right? Like, you don't remember anything that happened between when you left and when you got home. And you're just sort of like... Well, praise be to God! I made it. I guess I don't know. You get in sort of that autopilot where you drive the same road all the time. And I used to. There were a couple of different ways I could get home, so sometimes I would I would shake it up a bit and get off the freeway at a certain exit just so I could go the back way to try and. Because I got bored, uh, but but more often than not, it was just same road you get into autopilot you don't really really think about it and it's good in in the sense that it's like having a self-driving vehicle uh, before google uh, which is good Uh, but it's bad because it can be dangerous right you fall asleep anybody do that before 45 minute drive all the time especially i was working overnights you're doing this thing And then you're turning on the air conditioning in the middle of January when it's 20 below outside, having the window down, freezing, just to try and keep yourself awake, right? That's dangerous as well as, you know, it can be dangerous deer jumping out in front of you. We have more deer in Minnesota than here. You know, elk, I guess, raccoons, uh, uh, the occasional Canadian geese, uh, whatever it might be. Those things jumping out in front of you as well as traffic, construction, construction, accidents, all those things. You want to make sure that you're kind of hopefully staying awake. But at the same time, you don't want to miss certain things. Because even if you take the same road all the time, there's going to be something different. Just scientifically speaking, today, at this time, the sun is not in the exact place it was at this time yesterday, right? The days are getting shorter. The sun is at a different angle, although it can be a very minuscule, tiny little angle, but we're surrounded by mountains. You ever do the drive and notice the shadows? The different shadows, the different colors of the sunsets and sunrises, all these different things, that, so that every day is not the same. God gifting to you variation, you just have to look and see it or else you're going to miss the view. The other thing that you miss too are the old memories, Right? be driving down 395 and go, hey, remember when we broke down right there? Or, hey, remember when we picked up the, the hitchhiker right here? Or, remember when we stopped and got a hamburger there? Uh, noticing the things that that, that you, you had had in the past that maybe you had forgotten. Well, let's step into Advent together, because for many of you in the room, this is not your first Advent. Some of you are old enough to remember that it actually used to be purple. It, it, it used to be, the color used to be purple. And in some Lutheran churches, it still is purple. But for us, it's blue. That's a sermon for another time. But uh, many of you have been around Advent a lot. And sometimes it just becomes this, this same old thing. But but in, within the church year, we, we have more than two seasons. But I always say we have two seasons. We have the festival season, which we've just jumped into. And it begins here with the first Sunday of Advent. It begins with this movement that we're making towards Bethlehem, but also this reminder that Christ came once, and he's going to come again. But then we move, after we get past baby Jesus and the golden diapers, and we get to the to Epiphany with the three kings, right? Three magi, right? Right? right. right. I, hope I'm, I hope I'm not you know, missing people here. You, you go through the season of Epiphany. It used to be called Epiphany. Now they want to call it ordinary time. I, there's nothing ordinary about it. It's Epiphany season. Then you get into Lent, Right? And suddenly we're with Jesus as he's turned his face towards Jerusalem. We're constantly moving with him on these special days. And then we get to the cross. Then we get to the empty tomb. Next thing we know, we find ourselves at Pentecost, celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit. This whole festival season starting today and making all our way down to the end of May, beginning of June, whenever Pentecost is, I didn't look it up. And then we get into the green season, which is the season where we actually sit down in the temple, sit down in the synagogue, sit down in our home with Jesus and have him open up his word to us to teach us about what it means to grow in faith and love, what it means for Christ to be ours. And so we have those two seasons, the festival season and the green season. But regardless, we're jumping into this old, old story that for many of us, if we're not careful, we'll just jump into autopilot. Well, I just want to get to, uh, get to silent night and then and, and the candles and then open the presents. That's just what I want to get to, and the ham. That's, your, that's the goal, right? Be able to sing, oh, come all ye faithful and joy to the world and then go home and then not worry about it. But the reality is, is we can't do that. And that's why Jesus comes to us in the gospel this morning. And what does he say? He says, stay awake, be ready, be prepared. Keep ready because otherwise we are we are well built to just have every day, just become that 24-hour cycle of, oh, the sun came up today. The sun's going to go down. We're just going to keep on going through each day, each week, each month, each year, not even thinking about it. And he gives us this warning because he's saying at some point, all of those 24-hour periods, all those weeks, all those months, all those years will come to an end because the end of days shall come. The culmination of history shall be a thing that actually happens as Christ returns. And so he says, stay awake for the advent of your God. Look for it. Be ready for it. Wait patiently for it. Because what comes with him is the embodiment of the gospel, Christ for you, coming to you. And so this morning, what I was telling uh, Shirley, uh this morning, that I love Advent when we're in the year of Matthew, year A, because we get a lot of Isaiah, because I love preaching from Isaiah, so you get Isaiah. <laughs> um, but part of it, too, is because Isaiah sees something, right? It starts out with the word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, or the matter, or the thing. He sees something, right? But what does he see of the Advent of God? Because that's what he's seeing, He's seeing the culmination of history, the end of days. And that's what it says, actually. Our our NRSV betrays us because it translates it as in days to come. That's not a good translation at all. The right translation is at the end of days, at the end of everything else, what does he see? He sees the mountain of the Lord's house. That's kind of a weird phraseology, right? Shouldn't you either see a mountain or a house? but the mountain of the Lord's house. He's talking about the, the place of worship. At that time, if you take the time to read First and Second Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, all those things, they're going to talk about the high places. Because people would build altars and, and all sorts of things on every mountain they could possibly find. Because if you're on a mountain, you, you have the sense of being closer to God, right? Like the Tower of Babel. Yeah, like the Tower of Babel. Yeah. That, that you're closer to God. And so here he's talking about the mountain of the Lord's house, the worship place of the Lord's house, the place where all of worship comes together in the house that is the Lord's. And he says, this house, this house that he's talking about is going to be established. It's going to be secure. It's going to be fixed. It's going to be unmovable. It's going to be firm. It's going to be steadfast. Nothing can change it. And with that steadfast, established house It's going to become the highest of all mountains, the highest of all mountains, the head or the chief or the preeminent of all the other worship places. It's going to be the best above everything else. What does that mean? It means all our little idols, all our little uh, things that we worship, the things that we cling to, the things that we trust in, what do they become? They become subservient to the one. To Christ, to the Lord, to the Lord's house. They become nothing. And it says that it's going to be raised. It's going to be exalted. It's going to have a sense of greatness to it. I don't know if any of you have been to Jerusalem before. I haven't had the chance to yet. But I was reading one of the commentators that they're talking about how this this temple mount, Mount Zion, uh, is, is basically just a heap of dirt. It's not really like a, it's not Mount McKinley, okay? There's mountains out here. They're way bigger than Mount Zion, all right? But he's saying that this little heap of dirt, this little tiny little mound of dirt, is going to become the greatest of all mountains. Anybody thinking baby Jesus here? This little tiny baby that we're told is the savior of the nations. And we have to believe it. This baby that needs to be nursed and have his diaper changed and all these other things. That he is the one that is to be exalted, raised up, Because what happens with the exaltation of God's house? What happens with the exaltation of God's mountain? It says all the nations are going to stream to it. I love that word stream because that's the closest to what the Hebrew means. The Hebrew actually means a river flowing. And do you notice that this river is flowing in a particular direction? It's flowing uphill, not downhill, uphill. Do rivers flow uphill? (coughs) Not usually. I bet there's some nations who figured out how to flow, you know, but they, they usually have to do that artificially. This river is going to flow uphill to the Lord's mountain, to the Lord's house. You don't get to go up it. You get sucked into it. You get sucked into the current, and you get taken up there. All the nations, that includes you, <coughs> will be taken up there. Well, it's fitting then that Jesus in in John chapter two we get done with one of our uh, many of our favorite story the uh, wedding of Cana anybody water to wine that's a good story to read about after Thanksgiving with maybe family you didn't enjoy time with water to wine um, or or if you're Baptist water to Welches um but. Uh, John pushes the cleansing of the temple right at the very beginning instead of towards, towards the end. And it's there that, that Jesus gets confronted by all the religious leaders. And they say, well, tell us, by what sign? What thing are you going to do to prove to us that you have the authority to, to kick out all the people that are selling doves and sheep and all this other stuff? And Jesus says, well, tear down this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And, of course, the leaders are looking around at the stones. And they're going, this took 46 years. How are you going to raise us in three days? And then John gives us a little bit of a commentary. He says, while Jesus was talking about the temple of his body, when you read about the house of the Lord, when you read about even the mountain of the Lord, it's not some little temple somewhere. It's Christ. It's Jesus. That's the place in where we're going. We're going to him. He is both temple and sacrifice. you, Because it says in John chapter 12 verse 32 is is when he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Isaiah chapter 2, anyone? It's actually the same same verb, lifted up. It's the same both there in John in the Greek and in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, in Isaiah 2. Where it says, and it will be raised up, it will be exalted, it will be lifted up. It's the same word. It's the same verb. The mountain, the house of the Lord that all the nations are going to stream to, is Jesus, is Christ. Advent of our God being that we are desiring to be in communion with Christ. Having Christ come to us, and most notably notably the fact that it's not up to us going to him, him coming to us. We didn't give him permission. He came on his own. Well, what do the people say when they get there? They say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God. Let us go to Christ. Let us go where new life is found. Let us go where the old, old story is, where all the culmination of history is going to be. Let us go to where our fears go to die. Let us go, because everything else is shifting sand. That new car that you're thinking of getting for Christmas can't keep you alive. It could kill you, right? But it won't keep you from death. But there is one who raises the dead, the one who comes into the world as new life, life among the dead to give us new life, to give us a new identity, to, to, to make a new you out of the old you in which we're tied to a baby, to a God who comes for us and shall come again. Because this whole purpose of, of coming to Christ, it says there in, in, in verse 3, that he might teach us his ways, in, in the Hebrew, the, the word for teach is even closer to rain pouring down upon you. It's not just you sitting in a class and I instill some language in, and, and some verbiage into you so that you can win Jeopardy. That's not what it's about. It's not, it's not for you to make it through Bible-trivial pursuit. It is for the, the teaching, the word of the Lord to pour over you, to drench you to cover you and then when he talks about his ways, that is a wonderful thing to, to think about but it's about the journey it's about the course of life. it's about something more than just some sort of adherence to a to, to a form of religion it's about something that becomes something more in us and for us. I said in the first service that in some ways we should be somewhat jealous of our Muslim and Jewish and Buddhist and Hindu neighbors because for them, their religion defines who they are, doesn't it? This is what you eat. This is what you wear. This is how you pray. This is when you pray, all those things. We, thanks be to God, have freedom in Christ, right? And so we've been freed from all those things. So if we do happen to eat shellfish on a Friday... We're not going to hell. But, but, there is something to be said for, for being so inundated with the word of Christ that it becomes something more than just an observance of something, but actually becoming who we are, our identity, giving us that freedom, making us free in Christ. Because it is through this teaching, through this pouring down, it says that we shall walk in his paths. That word for path is the word for highway. It's a well-trodden road. It would be the same word for a trade route. Meaning what? You're going from point A to point B. You've got to load in your semi, and you've got to go from the distribution center to Walmart, and you have to be there by such and such a day. It's the same sort of thing. It's, it's why when we hear in, in Isaiah 40 that, that we'll here next week when, when uh, John the Baptist proclaims, he says, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the highway for our God. No curving, no stopping off at little pit stops, no losing stuff along the way. It's on our way with Christ, to Christ, in Christ. And what comes out of all of this, what comes out of all of this is the creative work of God. It begins when it says that the word of God breaks forth. The the NRSV uses the word instruction. It's the word Torah, which we always connect to the law. But that's not how you want to look at it. You want to look at it as the creative work of God, the creative word, what he speaks in Genesis 1 to make life, where he says that he speaks and light comes into being. It's the same exact thing for us. God's creative work, because what is God doing at this time in Isaiah 2? What is he going to be doing at the end of time? What is he going to be doing right now in you, has already begun in you in your baptism, through every day that you hear Pastor Chris and I proclaim the gospel to you, is to make life and put death to death, destruction to death. Because what happens? He speaks, he arbitrates with the nations, and then people pound their swords into what? Plowshares. What's a plowshare? It's a lovely little word, but what's a plowshare? It's a hoe. What do you use a hoe for? Gardening. Or you spears into pruning hooks. What do you do with a pruning hook? You prune trees and bushes so that they'll do what? Produce more fruit. What do we have happening? In Christ. The advent of our God coming to us at the end of time, putting an end to death, putting an end to destruction, and making life. It's fitting that this is what is happening at the end of time when at the beginning of time, God speaks and a garden comes into being. A place where new life is coming forth, and now at the end of time, a garden is coming into being, a new life. So with your Advent this year, it's not about keeping Advent well or anything like that, but what you need to know is that Advent is not the pregame to Christmas. Advent is not the opening act, and you're waiting for the headliner to come. You just need to get through, and you'll polite applause, and you're waiting. No, Advent is life itself. It's the laying out Of the full force of your faith, the faith that trusts that because Christ came once and said he was going to come again that he holds to what he says to you. He said I'm coming again and we have to trust him. That he's going to come. That he's actually going to come regardless of whether you're ready or not. So when you show up here on Christmas Eve and you come up to Pastor Chris and I and go, okay, no, we can't have Christmas yet, I'm not ready. Jesus goes, I don't care. I don't care how ready you are. I don't care whether you're listening, you've been listening to Christmas music so, since November 1st. Or if you, you put out the Christmas decorations or you're waiting. I don't care if you have lights on the outside of your house. Jesus is going to come regardless. Because he already did once and he will Come again, regardless of how ready you are, regardless of how holy you are. Notice there's no discussion in Isaiah about holiness. It's about God coming to you and streaming the entire world to himself. Because he's going to come again to finalize the establishment of his kingdom in you, a kingdom of peace and life and mercy and grace and forgiveness that he's going to bring to an end all your fears of death. And make our hopes of life complete. So going back to the beginning, don't fall asleep at the wheel during Advent. Don't just coast through. Take it in. Take in each Sunday. Take in the lighting of your own Advent wreath at home. Take in, take in all these things. Enjoy the beautiful, beautiful journey with Christ and all the readings that you've heard before. Because trust me, both of us have been pastors long enough. We've preached all these texts. I don't know how many times. And yet, every single time, something new leaps forth to us. Let the word of the Lord pour over you this morning and every morning that he might draw you to himself. Jump into what I call the riptide of the gospel. You know how to survive a riptide? You go with it, you don't fight it, you don't try and swim against it. You're going to get tired and die. Although, maybe for some of us, we need to die and then get raised up again. But you jump into it and you go with it until the opening comes for you to exit. Jump into the riptide of the gospel and go with it. Have Christ carry you along as you travel through this season so that he might be yours because you were most definitely his. Happy Advent. Thanks be to God. Amen.